The following episode of MCU and Me is brought to you entirely uninterrupted uh, via Content Club from Clockshelves Entertainment and our apologies for taking so long with getting some episodes to you. Unfortunately, uh, real life gets in the way of some of our folks being able to get together and record. So as an apology, we would like to present this episode and the next episode you'll get in your feed very soon, completely uninterrupted. For more episodes like this and of some of our other shows, go check out Content Club from Clockshelves Entertainment, where you get all episodes of our podcasts early and uninterrupted. On with the show. Welcome to another episode of MCU and Me. As always, I'm your host, Paul Casey, and I'm delighted to continue through the journey of Season 3 with my Season 3 Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. co-host, Ruth Casey, is back once again. Say hello. Hello. Uh, it has been a little bit since we have recorded an episode, but I am very excited because we're covering probably one of, well, we're covering two episodes today, one of which is Probably one of my favorite episodes of the entirety of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Uh, we are discussing episodes five and six today. Episode five is 4,722 hours, and episode six is Among Us Hide. Uh, and before we go any further, um, I'm kind of curious if you we, it's unfortunately it's been a little bit uh schedules between you and i haven't uh been quite in sync to be able to do this steadily uh as has been for you know some other podcasts and even uh previous seasons but we're going to try to get back on track very soon but i'm curious um sort of what your thoughts were going into these episodes how much of them did you remember because we've talked before about how this is the first time in quite a long time that uh you and i have watched this series back so i'm curious now looking back at these two episodes all these years later your thoughts about them yeah there was a lot that i didn't remember um i am excited to get back into watching it because there's so much like things that I didn't realize the first time that you see this time around. And uh, it was, it was really interesting um, watching because when we watched it the first time we were just watching it, you know, and now I'm watching it to, well, you know, you're watching it to talk about it, but you know, to notice the things. So it it's, it's, um, it's kind of interesting, you know, the little things that you, that you pick up on that you didn't quite catch the first time around, you know? And unlike some of the other stuff that we cover here uh, for Clock Shelves Entertainment, whether that be uh, Lost, Unlost with Friends, or uh, Buffyverse and Converse and whatnot, there's a lot like this, for me at least, not necessarily for others, but this is the first time that I'm watching pretty much anything Marvel back since it aired. I've talked about that quite a few times. Um Whereas with Lost, I'd seen that series, you know, countless times before I ever did the podcast. Same with 
Uh, Buffy, I've watched it probably a dozen times or so, I'd say. Maybe a little less than that, but still quite a few times uh, before uh, doing the podcast. And, you know, it's it's interesting watching it back once. And now, like you said, like seeing things that we, that I know that happen and where certain things uh, get set up. Um, And arguably this first episode that we have here, uh, 4,722 hours uh, does set up some stuff. It kind of leaves us on a bit of a cliffhanger at the end, but it also tells us what we've sort of been missing uh from uh Gemma's point of view from the be- well the end of season two into the beginning of of season three and, and I mentioned before this is arguably one of my favorite episodes of the entire series and that should say a lot considering it went for I want to I think it was seven seasons uh, Agents of Shield went for and that an episode towards the beginning of season three it ranks so highly for me that I've remembered that episode since it aired initially since we watched it back then and it's been one of the ones that I've been probably most excited to talk about since we've started the podcast and especially since we uh we started the season here um i don't know if you necessarily feel the same way uh, about the episode or or kind of your feelings on it Uh, i know if i remember the format of this show properly uh, we kind of go through uh you know one episode then the other within the context of the podcast uh we yeah alternate if some things you know have to do with one another and whatnot but um one of the things that go ahead go ahead no, go ahead. No, uh, go ahead. What, what were you going to say? No, I was going to say, uh, just jumping right into the the episode itself. I was um, just the difference in the way that they shot this. The the colors and everything are so different than what we've seen from the rest of the series. Like it's all grays and blues and and you can tell that you're somewhere else. Do you know what I mean? It's like right from the first camera shot you know that something's different like we're not in kansas anymore you know right and that's something that television uh a lot a good in my opinion good television i I think um as of this recording uh a recent recording of buffy verse and converse uh, our friend bill uh made the comment uh sophisticated television um, when I was I was trying to think of the word and, and he he used the word sophisticated television, um, which I think Agents of Shield is like yes it's it's comic books and and what have you but I think that the way that they did it for those who gave you know gave it a chance and stuck with it um, I think the the sophist- I think it became a, a very sophisticated show and I think that good sophisticated television does that where and I mean and what I mean by that is. Uh, I'm going to once again bring up like Lost. Uh, so when it was supposed to be set in Africa, they would put like an orange yellow filter over the, the camera lens, right? Because that it, it well, automatically yeah, it... lets you know that like we're in a place that's hot. It's we're in a place that, you know, it, it's it's different than everything that we've seen so far. And it's um, better than it's better than going now in another place, you know, like script across the screen or anything else like that. You know, something's different without somebody slapping you in the face with a, a 
text going, we're on the moon. You know what I mean? Like, not that we're and on the moon. Don't get me wrong. But... I, I, I don't mind that when it's something. I don't either. But it, but this is a very nice, subtle way to do that. Right. You know, instead of instead of doing it like that, where it's, like I said, in your face. I, I like, but I mean, it's just, it it's a, it gives the, it gives the illusion of like bleak and desolate and like my notes say otherworldly you know like you know that this is not this isn't uh kansas it isn't you know northeast pennsylvania it isn't any place that you're familiar with you know just the not just the landscape itself but just the whole tone of the coloring and i think even the music is different and you know, that's, well, the, the coloring and whatnot, that's one of the things like you see, you know, on um, like Star Trek, for example, mm -hmm. the original Star Trek. What would they do when they were landing on a planet? Like they would do things that were like very over the top to let you know this isn't it's an Earth like planet, clearly, but it's not Earth. So what would it be? It would be deserts. But they wouldn't change the like again, like they wouldn't put a filter on it. They wouldn't necessarily change the the way the camera operates. It was just this is a more desert planet, but there yeah. might be some really random piece of tech right in the middle of it. This planet is very old western, you know, so it would yeah. obviously be shot on an old west set somewhere on a back lot or what have you. Or, you know what I mean? Like they would do things like that. Um, even uh a show that we both uh, love very much, the rebooted Battlestar Galactica. Um, in the first season or so of that, even well throughout the the seasons, really, they would do things if they landed on uh, or if stories were taking place at different points, there would be uh, a more dark, gritty aspect. Not necessarily on the ship, there wouldn't be like a filter, but it would just seem very dark and gritty, and there wouldn't be a lot of vibrant colors when they were back on a spoiler potential spoilers i don't think i'm giving too much away um a planet that had seemingly been uh nuked they put once again like an orange filter over that because it was supposed to give like this air of something is wrong with the the oxygen here and like everything is kind of like a wasteland they went somewhere i'm not going to say where i'm not going to give any more details other than um it was supposed to be like a paradise so everything was like more bright and vibrant and they they clearly in in whether it was on the camera settings itself or in post-production or what have you they upped the the color of everything you know what i mean they made the greens greener they made the whites whiter they made the yellow oh, yeah, they made yellower it, you know what i mean yeah and they made they made it look more lush i'm sorry i was muting because there's sirens going by so no but lush is a lush is a, a perfect word to to describe yeah, and, it and this one this planet looks it looks desolate it's gray it you know right from the start just her getting there it is not a place you want to be and it's not somewhere you want to be trapped you know and and, and it's, I, it, I have to say i was i was not this time but the first time watching it i was a little con not confused but I was a little like, oh, so they did go that way. And what I mean is, so uh, previously in the season already, we saw where Gemma 
Well, I mean, yes. So we technically saw her there already. So I guess it shouldn't have been like too much of a surprise. But obviously, uh, I love the the Fitzsimmons dynamic. Oh, yeah. They're they're Absolutely. probably my two favorite characters on the on the show from the from the very first episode. And so I've always been very invested in their storyline, probably above most of the other storylines on the on the show, at least the intercharacter ones. Yep. We're all rooting for Fitzsimmons. Yep. So, but by the end of this, um, so, uh, you know, when we did, we did see her and we, we kind of talked about that previously where, uh, you know, she, she disappears at the end of season two and then we see the beginning of season three and, and Fitz is doing everything he possibly can to figure out what's going on with this, with this monolith thing, right? Where did she go? you know, all of this stuff. And and again, we see her at one point like running across the, this, this planet or what have you. Yep. And then we see her come back, right. We see them figure it out or whatever. And they, they come back or she comes back, but then she's like incredibly sad and like everything is, you know, like different and, her hearing is different because now she's you know she wasn't hearing a lot of noises because everything was there wasn't like technology everywhere there wasn't you know all of that but we didn't necessarily know that except for that one little clip of her running we don't know what she dealt with right so it's kind of like she she has like ptsd right but i think this is like a fan fiction sort of thing here i i wonder if they should have perhaps gone the other way with it, where she was in like a paradise of some sort, and then she got brought back here to like regular old earth. Oh yeah. That's a, that's a, a, you know, yeah, but I mean, because she would, I mean, she would be equally as like, upset and like not used to everything right like right. she no equally... not but i still think i still think that if she were trapped in a paradise planet yes she would have been sad to leave but it wouldn't have been as traumatic for her no i don't it think wouldn't... that would have been as traumatic i think coming back would be the no no but that's the thing i don't think it would have been because it was still um being in paradise alone is still a hardship but so then being back with her family ah but now you've brought up a very interesting point that we find out uh in this episode mm, i don't want to say early on but uh at a decent point through the episode cutting forward a little bit and we will go back to the the water and and all of that but oh yeah go ahead we find out she wasn't alone so I'll say that, but now, now we'll go back to she's there. She obviously she she immediately the science person that she is, the the rule follower that she is, she immediately goes to, okay, Shield's protocol is this, and whatever she figures, you know, she's gonna be rescued very soon. Uh okay. conserve Here. battery power. Uh, you know, go ahead. All right. Yeah. She, the very, my notes say, you know, she's her logical mind starts cataloging. Right. 
and then she's traveling to find the water, right? Logically, she's figuring it out. She goes, and what's the first thing that she does when she gets to the water? Does she test the water to see if it's safe? Any, no, it, it doesn't matter. She immediately sticks her face in and starts drinking. Like, that is not a logical thing to do. Take a little bit, you know, taste it, see how it is. She just immediately starts slurping it down. Like if you were if you were wandering and you found a thing of water, no matter how thirsty you are, you would still approach it with caution. And you're not a scientist. She's a scientist. She understands the possibilities of how much bad things could be in that liquid that appears to be water. But not necessarily is. The thing that grossed me out, I'm not disagreeing necessarily but the, the, the thing that grossed me out was how she was like pretty much let me swim in it makeshift bathe because obviously there's no soap or anything so it's like a makeshift right. bath but that's also the drinking water and it made me think of the kids in the neighborhood where i grew up and ugh. oh yeah i know what you're gonna say <laughs> um unsanitary i don't know if you i don't want to tell this if you want to tell the story no, or at no. least at least give sort of a, a, an indication of what we mean but um unsanitary is all i will so uh, the kids would about. the kids would when it would rain you know kids go out and they play in puddles and whatever well that was fine kids play in puddles all the time except the puddles that were these kids were playing in was right near the runoff from a dumpster so they were like laying on the ground, fake swimming in a puddle that was runoff water from the dumpster. That's icky. Disgusting. Sorry. Yeah. And the other thing that made me gag was, yes, she was swimming where she was drinking. Then when she got horror movied, you know, because there's a lot of horror. That's movie horror. Horror. What am I saying? With multiple syllables for the. It, the way you said it quick, you're like, she got horror movie. Like, <laughs> no, she, there's a horror. lot of tropes. There are a lot of horror movie tropes <laughs> in this episode. Okay. So there's the one where she gets, she's floating and then she gets yoinked under the water. Right. And so, you know, that. And then, of course, you see the fake fight scene. Sorry, you know. It, it's a fake fight scene but anyway there's the fight scene and then well, she i'm pretty drags... sure the the planetary thing was was fake too mom i don't think they actually sent her to another planet to film all of these scenes but anyway so she you know that happens then she drags the tentacle up on shore right and then she eats it raw i could i gagged so no, i hard. think she cooked it no not the first time the first time she just bit into it raw. She well, did eventually think, cook it. But you have to but you have to remember she was she, starving. Yes, she I did understand. think right, and that's the thing, is like she did think because so going back just a little bit, like I said, her her science brain kicked in. She said, Oh, shield protocol, this, that, the third. She's waiting and waiting and waiting. And we see that little thing across the bottom, the lower third, like you were talking about, where it, it updates us how many hours, mm -hmm. you know. And or how many minutes I think at first, and then how many hours and whatever. Inevitably, she leaves the spot mm -hmm. with like directions to you know where she went, whatever. Then she finds that the the, the 
lake or puddle or whatever it is. But at that point, it's, I don't even remember, I'm looking to see, maybe I could find it here, how many hours it was at that point. Um, Unfortunately for me, just like for her, all the time stamps blurred together. Right. You know? And I think like, they were supposed to. Yeah, it wasn't supposed to be like this minute happened, this, that, and the other. But yeah, so, but there were, again, you know, we get back to the, to the, um, when she, when she was burning the, or when she was cooking the, the meal, right? And she's trying to light the fire and I'm going, where'd the wood come from? She passed by where? stuff. Yeah. Yeah. We saw, there was stuff cause she found like I, all I, the rocks and stuff. I saw the rocks, but I didn't see wood until later Again, when we come across another horror movie trope, which is a trap door and a person in the shadows. Oh, I was going to say, I thought you were going to say a sandstorm. <laughs> no, no, no. Well, because that's, you know, that's what initially brings the, the other person is a sand. Well, a sandstorm ha like sweeps the area. And that's where the other person kind of comes from, from the shadows, if you will. Well, no, but when she falls through the trap door, there's somebody in the shadows. She sees it. She sees someone in the shadows. When she's down in the in the thing. Yes. And then, of course, then she does the place play sick. You know, what is that? What is it in in? It's a, maybe it's I know it's a spoiler, but what is it in the in uh, Loki and and Thor? Is it, what do they say? Do the, it's not the, is it get help? I don't know. I think it's something like that. Yeah. I no, know what you're talking about. Help. I don't remember the name, but yeah. Yeah. But I think that's what they say. Like, we'll do get help where they, you know, you play sick and then somebody comes to, to help you. But like logical brain again says. On Lost, she got they out. referred to it similar, a similar tactic. They referred to it as the old Wookiee prisoner gag. Yes, exactly. Or, but you know, like, so like she, she plays sick. She gets him to come in. She knocks him down. Why didn't she lock him in? Because if right? he... No, because if he... Because he wasn't knocked out. Because he... Because he... When she was talking to him and saying like, oh, I'm sick, I'm sick... He's like, he's openly doubting whether she's even real. Right. But so, he comes, so but when he comes she, in, so when he, she, when she, you asked me a question, I'm trying to answer. So when she hits him, knocks him down, he says something to the effect of that was real enough or something like that, he says. And she runs like she's already running by that time. So. I would think, and I'm not trying to sound any sort of way, but she already, it's already man versus woman. He already has the upper hand of, he clearly knows his, his environment. She does not. Right. So, so why not wait, lock him me, in and give yourself let, that little let, bit of extra Because time. let me finish the answer. Because if he wasn't knocked out, she he may have been he may have gotten up and fought back in which case she would have lost whereas i think the more logical thing is you hit him knock him down if he's not knocked out 
then you just run, which is exactly what she did. Because if she's there, she doesn't know how quickly he's going to recover. He already was talking. He was not knocked out. So why would you risk the fact that he may recover or while he's she's trying to lock him in, he again, he gets up, he trips her leg or whatever. She just booked it. It's the same right, reason but- again, use it going back to your horror movie thing. They don't necessarily fight back all the time. They run. Could they probably, there's three or four of them against one person, you know, killer, whatever. Could they probably outpower? Yes. But your instinct is to run, especially if you think that you're in the, in the moment that you're going to get overpowered. If they have a weapon or whatever. And I know, but it just, he had logically speaking, whether, because it was, he clearly knew something with regards to the environment he clearly had some sort of something with like tactical whatever because he built a makeshift cage and he had uh like he had a whole like home base set up there so he clearly had all of the advantages so why would you keep yourself in on his turf for lack of a better phrase he has well, home court advantage Right, so but, run, get out as fast as you can. Right, but you don't know where but you don't know where you're running to, but he knows the area. He knows the area well enough to know where to put a trap and everything else like that. More logic would be to slow him down as much as possible, which would be lock him in. That's my I don't opinion. think I don't think so because again, you risk not even being able to if you run, you have a chance of getting out if you try and stay and fight then you because i mean not to say it like this but that's why they tell you if like somebody like you're you know you're somewhere and a a shooter comes in unless you absolutely have to do not fight. Get out of the area immediately. Do whatever you can. Leave it. Same thing with a fire. Can you put out a fire? Probably. But if if the apartment caught on fire, am I gonna? Am I like? And I mean, like, it's like really taking over. Am I gonna try to necessarily put it out, or am I gonna get out? as quickly as possible do i try to help you get out yes do i try to help whatever but it all but the 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 logic the those things that they tell you also say try but don't let anyone else or anything else slow you down get yourself to safety and if you're if you have to outweigh in my opinion if you have to outweigh yes he knows the area i don't know where i'm running to but i know that the planet is is desert and deserted so unless he's built like some labyrinth or something i can run and run and run and run and i have a head start on him or I could stay, try to lock him in and or knock him out and risk him overpowering me. And then I've lost my edge because he's not going to fall for this twice. I I suppose. But like I said, my my logical thinking is to lock him in because he had one. Trap. The, you have to try so and lock him in. Finished. He already has one trap door 
that he captured you. So what's, but then again, there's the, the, the downside of this. What I next thing I'm going to say is what's to say he doesn't have another one somewhere else. In which case you're both locked in to a trap, whatever. Um, I understand your point and I hope you understand my point and we'll just go on from there. Um, okay. So there's a, there's a monster in the, in the storm. Gee, does that sound familiar? My notes say lost. A monster in the storm? Hmm, I suppose. Okay, so we're going to, we're going to, in my opinion, Gemma starts this episode in a very logical place and loses her logic very quickly. Okay. She drinks I the water with... No, it. and I, I I'll agree with you that she does she does because all of the things that and I just had this conversation with someone I I I don't want to go too much into it only because it's not something that's going to be out publicly for a long time possibly ever but you can train anyone and everyone for all the scenarios possible but that's and how they they asked at the act at the minute is different well, not I, only I, that not only that but if you so I, I can't believe this that i'm going to use a sports analogy here if and i'm not saying that this is the case because you you shouldn't you wouldn't really do this i understand american football right the mm -hmm. goal is the goal of the defense is take down whoever has the ball nine times out of 10, the quarterback, right? If you could get the quarterback before he passes it to anyone, you're golden because that right. stops the play and that mo moves them back, makes it further that they have to, that someone has to run or harder that he has to throw it down the field so that they can, so that the offense can move. So the goal right. is get whoever has the ball. So if you're teaching offense, if you're coaching or whatever offense, you can say every single time, okay, so this time we're going to run the ball, you know, oh, it's okay. It's looking like we have this much space, whatever. So we're going to throw the ball this time, whatever. You're operating on the assumption that the defense, the opposite team is going to have someone covering certain spots and whatever, right? Like somebody's going to cover whoever the, the wide receiver is. Somebody's going to cover whoever the running back is or whatever. But if, if the, whoever's in charge of defense on the other team just decides every time, try to sack the court. Like that's, that's your goal. Every single blitz on the quarterback, your, your entire game plan on offense is suddenly out the window. Because you've trained and you've practiced for a scenario. You've practiced all season for a scenario that you're not ready for. And that the other team didn't, quote unquote, teach their side. So you could teach someone all the things in the military, right? Like there's like all sorts of stuff like the, the Geneva codes or whatever, which is like codes, if I'm not mistaken. It's like codes of like you know, military, you know, you do this, I, you know, you, you. They're codes you, of conduct, yeah. Codes of conduct when it comes to like war and stuff. But in mm -hmm. reality, there aren't. 
there shouldn't be to a certain extent right like because then it's 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 a chess game but it's also not a chess game yeah right I like mean, at a certain a, a point lot of- What's to say that I'm not just going to say, screw this, screw you, and I'm just going to bomb everything, wiping you off of the board instead of playing this game against you. And that's why there are that's why there are codes of conduct, because at the end of the day, we're all humans and there's. No, and you're absolutely correct. But that's the thing is shield aliens no aliens other planets not other planets whatever whatever she went through in the academy and whatever she's been through on the on the field and you know out in the field and and whatever else it's all well and good but like you said when you're in the moment everything changes because suddenly like as she yells later like where's the sun she may not have i mean we find out that the 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 this guy this mysterious guy who should or should not have been trapped in the cage they planned for sun allegedly right so we'll get to that in a moment but she could train all she wants but once you're actually and they've talked about it multiple times on this show itself once you're actually in the field and doing the thing the rules may go right out the window so i think she's i think she starts out logically but i think she slowly has to abandon that because she's playing checkers but the universe is playing chess against her if you will to go back to that analogy okay so but there's simple things that like are logical right so he's talking to her and she tells him she's alone. Like he doesn't know who else was with her or anything else like that. Why would you not say you got separated from your group instead of saying, no, I'm here by myself. I got sucked through the vortex and here I am. Because now you're completely at the mercy of whoever this person is without them thinking that you have another option. Well, unfortunately, I think that's that's a, a flaw in Gemma is that she's not really the best with lying. We saw that at the beginning of season two when she was like undercover at Hydra and she was like always constantly scared that she was gonna be found out and she couldn't lie very well when it, you know what I mean? Do you remember that, that, yeah. that part of the yeah. arc? Like she's never really been good with that because she is like... I think she has a lot more, she shows a lot more emotions than fits. But for the most part, again, because she's very scientific and whatnot, she's well, they're not both, necessarily. They're, so, they're socially awkward. So yeah, right. there is that. And it's funny because my next note in, in the thing is about the fact that this mysterious person is 14 years, they find out, She we find out that he's been there for 14 years well it makes sense that he's out of practice peopling right humaning is the way i have it in my notes did we get his name at this point pardon me did we get his name at this point i don't think we've got maybe we got it i don't i don't know i don't have that in my notes when we get his name well i'll just say for what it's worth his name is will yes 
So we don't have to just keep saying this man, this mysterious yes. person, this but whatever. Because yes. again, if people are watching or listening to this, chances are they've they watched the episode, watched so they but know already. And it's neat. It's it's neat listening to him talk about how far tech has come since two thousand one. You know, because at that at the at the point of when this episode is, it's two thousand fifteen. Yeah. And so, so we're recording this in 2023. So to see how far tech has come since is even funnier. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, it's, it's neat. Like just him knowing the difference between, you know, like the way things are like just even her cell phone, you know, how fascinated he is with her cell phone, you know? Right. It, it's kind of interesting. And then he uh, he gets offended when she jumps to the logical conclusion that you know all his um, all his crew is gone. Well, did you do something to them? You know, like because you're here alone. As far as she knows, at this point, there's nobody else there. So where did they go? Right. You know, but it's neat when they're trying to, so we've gotten to in the, the point in the episode ish where she's trying to calculate with all the stuff that he has because they know that the thing opens at this point. They know that there's a portal that automatically opens Right. So then they're trying to figure out how and where. Well, the one thing I want to go, because uh, I said before, one of the things that I that I love is the is the character arc. Right. Mm -hmm. And. Um, when she's telling him about because, you know, says something about like, what year is it? She's 2015 and he like freaks out because, again, it's been 14 years and whatnot. And she's telling him about technology. And one of the things that she shows him and talks about, because she's talked about fits. She talks about where she's, you know, shield and, and all this stuff. And I think, I don't know if at this point, but at some point he mentions that um, he worked for NASA and, mm -hmm. you know, she she because she finds this like whole room or he shows her this whole room of all the technology. And that's when she says, like, it's you know, it's ancient. And he's like, it was state of the art when we got here. And I said a moment ago how. Um, uh, you know, the the sun, I mentioned the yeah. sun and, and what have you. And he mentions somewhere in there that they have or had all the power they were sent there with all the power that they could possibly need except for the fact that it's solar powered and there is no sun right right and she mentions again a few times she mentions things about fits she mentions her her team and all this other stuff but obviously she keeps mentioning fits and then eventually she shows him uh, I don't know if it's at this point or not, but she eventually uh, shows him um, the picture, well, a video of of her team and specifically Fitz. And she's like, that's Fitz. And he says something along the lines of he means a lot to you because he, it, you know, his name is your favorite word. 
And I think that's very important because we see once or twice throughout the, the episode from the beginning, from when she's first there to when she finds the thing of water, she's just literally just sleeping randomly in the desert pretty much before she falls asleep at any point she specifically looks at a picture of him on her phone and says good night fits yeah and i think that's very important because a little later not to jump ahead too much but she obviously starts to get to know this this man this will very well odd sentence but she gets to know him very well they become friendly they you know they they have meals together they talk and joke as if it's like a like a sitcom marriage if you will you know and while they're also talking he's telling her a little bit about his history and she's telling him other stuff whatever and at some point in there i, I i'm skipping ahead a little bit but somewhere in there because I want to go back and talk about like his history and, and all of that. But she looks at her phone at one point and says, good night, Fitz. And she puts her phone down and then she says, good night, Will. And I think that's a very, very, very big moment because for the Fitzsimmons fans since episode one, you could tell there was a chemistry between these two and season one we had where um, he, you know, they clearly had a thing for each other, but it was, it seemed like it was just work related. And then towards the end of the season, he's like about ready to ask her out, but then, you know, he kind of discovers and she kind of lets it out that she has a thing for Ward. So then he's like very deterred by that and whatever. And then Ward traps them in that underwater thing, if you remember. And then uh, end of season one into season two, um, Fitz is having issues with his brain and his speech and whatnot because he saved them. If I remember correctly, he saved them by uh almost drowning himself so that she could have the oxygen or whatever he he was deprived of oxygen for you know like a hair too long or whatever so he was having issues with speech and his brain and whatnot and then she went away because if you remember there was a there was a thing where she was working for um for um Hydra, Hydra like I said earlier you know and I think that's when he was like imagining her as well yeah. you yeah. know and so then they're then they're back together and there's like an awkwardness and then eventually by the end of the season he finally asks her out on a date and she even says at the beginning of this very episode uh you know i have to get back Fitz and i are going on a date or something like that she says you know yeah. like she's she's clearly anticipating this date and everything that she's doing, she's documenting all of her stuff for Fitz. She can't wait to tell him about stuff. She obviously can't wait to see him again. And again, she, you know, says goodnight to him every time she's, you know, ready to fall asleep. And he's then the last, it's the last thought in her brain before she goes to sleep. And then it changes. And then, right. And then there's this other person. And one could, again, using the whole logic even if we want to bring emotions into it, one could see how that would become a thing, right? Like you're stranded. It's, it's the, 
the real world thing like they used to do on all those shows right or like the jersey shore or whatever where it's like you're trapped for so long with these people that eventually it's it's like when i'm not saying that it's because it's not by the way the best thing to do but when you develop feelings or if you end up developing feelings for someone that you work with or whatever right like i saw a thing i saw a tiktok recently where it was somebody you know their first day at a restaurant and it was like yeah the waitress is cute but i would never date anyone that i work with you know, and it's like in in a lot of fields that ends up happening because other than whoever is in your home life, unless you have an incredibly rich social life, for the most part, you see whoever you live with, some family, maybe some friends once in a while, but you pretty much see your coworkers more than anyone. So in some ways you become really turned off by them because like you see all their little idiosyncrasies that you don't like, but in other ways you see all of their idiosyncrasies that you may find attractive after a certain point of time. It's like when you, you know, a new song comes on and you hate that song. And then eventually after listening to it, you find that you realize that you actually like that song. And I'm not saying that she hated uh, Will by any, I mean, I, I feel like there was obviously some some disdain there at the beginning of their, you know, whatever relationship, not necessarily meaning romantic, but um, obviously. Have, he locked her in a cage. What's that? He, she was pissed. He locked her in a cage. Right. So, but consider, like you said, you know, a, a few moments ago, like he was there alone for 14 years. So now, by all accounts, they're, they are the only two there. Absolutely, by this point, absolutely no idea how, when, or if they're ever going to get back. So it would stand to reason that there might be a development of feelings there. And I don't think it's obviously as like a Fitzsimmons like fan, you're there going, no! Like it, they were so Stock- close. That's a very Stockholm syndrome kind of thing, you know. Like, but that's the thing is, I don't know. In this case, I yes. So obviously, he was keeping her there, and I want to get to that. No, in no, a I'm not. I'm not even saying because of that, but it's like it's the only person that you're seeing. So it's the same thing. But like I think that's. Said, but I think who- Stockholm syndrome is like being like being attracted specifically to your captor, or like not well, because. Well, realistically, because they're the only person that you see and you come to depend on them. And it's the same kind of thing where people get involved with somebody that they work with because it's the person that you see and you count on them. But on the, the, on, the, on the opposite side, it's the what's the Florence Nightingale thing, right? Where a nurse or a doctor falls in love with their patient because you feel like you're helping them. They need me. This person needs me. They're so thankful for me that I now you know what I mean so like I could again that's why I'm not necessarily in agreement with the label of stock I I understand what you're saying I completely get it but it's that sort of thing as well doesn't work the other way around the person who is the captor generally doesn't fall for the victim but it's the opposite way the victim falls for the captor so the the opposite beauty and the beast is Stockholm syndrome they fall for each other but that's not that's that's not what traditionally Stockholm syndrome is. Anyway, point being, anyway. human humanity-wise, emotionally speaking, 
it makes absolute sense. Doesn't make it right. And again, being a a like Fitzsimmons like fanboy, if you will, it's like so frustrating because even again at the beginning of this episode, she was so hyped, and she still clearly feels for Fitz because she still says good night to him. But now Will is there. Yep, and it's like f. You know, I know you don't yep. like the word, so I won't say it, but like, yep. that's what you're thinking, right? Yep. It's like a big old F followed yep. by three letters after. Yep. Okay, so we've gotten to the point where he shows her the equipment, right? And they figure out that there's a way to track the anomaly or whatever it is that allows the, because um, there's a link between the portals pretty much right yes so they figure out a way to track where it was and when it'll be again right i don't know how she figures it out because that's the science gemma you know well, she she realizes oh that's right because they had the that's i'm sorry nasa had the information she just needed to well, figure out well, that's Planet. it. NASA, yeah, NASA had the information uh, with regards to when it would open on the Earth side, because it goes by uh, the sun and the moon, similarly to how our uh, oceans are in sync with the moon here right. on Earth. And she says how similarly there's uh something with regards to the moon i think it's the moon on that planet that uh that's sort of what opens it and what she realizes is she figures out where he was like where he came in and then where she came in and based off of that again a losty sort of thing you can pretty much triangulate if you will where yeah. it's going to be next Right. Well, the thing that go ahead. Go ahead. No, no. No, no, no. Go ahead. What were you gonna say? I didn't have anything. Go ahead. I was just going to say, but the thing that we that we kind of have been dancing around here the whole time is the like you said earlier, the what happened with Will's team initially, because he's the only one left. So what we find out is they were sent there 14 years ago, 2001 and again from that point because it's 2015 uh 14 years ago to study and he even says that they were told that the planet or they they believe that the planet might want once have been a paradise a garden of eden type of thing but something happened and the the you know it's it, the the land is now all dried up and whatnot but he says that there's something there. There's some sort of, he, he consistently refers to it as it, death, and, you know, so on. Because the way he, his account is, is that basically all of the other people that on his team, they lost their minds. I got to tell you real quick, I, I have some trivia and the the other people on his team, right? So his deceased crew members, there was Austin, right? Okay. Who was named for 
they're all fictional astronauts. Austin was Steve Austin from Six Million Dollar Man. Okay. There was Brew Baker from uh for Charles Brew Baker from Capricorn One. Wait, how do you how do you know that these are their names? Because when you see their um on their gravestones, there's uh they have their their um what you call it? their name things on their their uniforms. Okay. Anyway, and the third one is uh George Taylor. Well, Taylor um was from Planet of the Apes. Okay. So it's kind of interesting that they picked three fictional astronauts to use they just the last names, but they they did that, you know, which I thought was kind of cool that they gave nods to former, you know, TV astronauts. Well, in reality, uh, 2001 was a space odyssey. So that kind of ties in there, too. Yeah. Um, um, Sorry. No, I, I, it's fine. Oh, so, uh, so we were talking about the, the Gemma was tracking where the. Oh, no, that's what I was. So wait, I was going to, I was saying about how like his crew or whatever. And, and he mentions like, we see as he's saying, like my job was to make sure that everybody kept their head or whatever, or something like that. And we see a gun on his like hip when he's saying this so like that was his sort of thing like he kind of he he seems to hint a lot that he's not like a tech person that wasn't as his science and tech and whatever was not really his job yeah he was more security than than uh you know than scientist right and he's the only one that survived he again he he consistently refers to it and whatnot and then at some point in there, because actually when she runs away, he finds her in earlier in the episode when she should or shouldn't have locked him in the thing, uh, in the, the little cage. He finds her uh, when there's a sandstorm and he mentions that that is it. It's the thing that killed his his crew and whatnot. And she's basically saying like a planet can't be sentient because he says like oh it's the planet it's evil whatever and you know it's it's or it's the sandstorm or or what have you and then somewhere i can't remember where exactly i think it's she's she's going to get him something for no that's later when she's going to get him something for dinner but somewhere along the line because uh she has his map and there's a an area specifically labeled the no fly zone right and I can't remember why. Maybe you remember why she ends up oh, going there. She she had seen something that was there. And it was like something it, it shiny almost, or something. Yeah, it was almost as though she were called to that. You know what I mean? Like something drew her to that place. Yeah. You know. And she ends and up finding. What it was, drawing her away from where he was and where it was safe. But yeah. And she ends up finding. Um the basically the equivalent of the headstones um all like all of this stuff that he didn't seem to take with him 
there was a what is that it's not a compass what's that thing called oh i can't think of what it is i know what you're I'm talking, talking about like where they tra and yeah. it's like they do like they trace like step not steps but like whatever with i can't think of what it's called um but like there was one of it looked like there was one of those there and all this sort of stuff that was just like buried in the sand because of you know the sandstorms or whatnot and eventually the sandstorm comes again and then um he gets her back to safety and i think that's somewhere in there is where she uh finally says his name as she's getting ready to go to sleep uh she figures it out like you said the the portal is going to open and they set out to make it there and they're going to put a message in a bottle shoot it through the the portal giving and she says that it's going to give fits the uh information that he needs to to figure out how to get there one more time and bring her and now will uh, presumably home i think it's is it a sexton that they Maybe. use to read uh, that sounds right that sounds right um if we're wrong tell us you know send us a message on on you know one of the socials and right. let us know also let us know whether you whether or not you think that there was enough room on the raft. No, no, that's not no. it. Whether she should have locked him in the in the cage or not. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Um, Come there on. Was enough, I... There was there was enough room on the raft. If they, I believe it was uh, the MythBusters people figured it out. There's enough enough room on the raft, but they would have had to tie uh, the floating devices underneath it for it to actually stay balanced in the water. Um. Anyway getting back to this they may like they get there but the canyon is way bigger than he claimed it was and that she thought it was going to be and so they're like obviously we can't make it through here what are we going to do what are we going to do eventually they see the portal open and they try to just shoot clear like shoot like a spear sort of thing with the message in the bottle clear across the the canyon unfortunately their timing is just slightly off and it doesn't work well yeah there's a there's i have a couple notes here and um it's there there's a there's a thing where when they're setting off he's like well how do we know we're even going to make it he's the voice of doom and she's the voice of hope you know like we you know there's a good chance that we could do it you know what i mean and it's like there's a I, and I think they actually, I think that's actually something that they, there's the, cause I have, I don't know why I have it written down, but it's, you know, that, that, that voice of doom, voice of hope, pretty much that's what they talk about the fact that she's being positive and he's being negative, you know, and as it goes on and he's like, there's no way we're going to do it. And she's like, we could, you know, we could try. Um, when she says to him about trying, and because she's like, we don't have a choice. And the look on his face when she says we don't have a choice. He's thinking we could just stay here and be happy. Right. You know, you could see it on his face. Like, can't being here be enough for you? You know, because like I've been here for 14 years. I'm used to this now. Can't that 
can you get to that point where it's enough for you for us to just be here? Well, that's still... the thing, right, is unfortunately he, because of whether it's because of the 14 years, whether it's because now there's an Adam and Eve type situation or what have you, he's pretty much resolved himself. Yeah, like he's you, pretty so much you want to honestly, I'm... that's probably the more Stockholm syndrome is between him and the planet where he's just yeah. sort of accepted. This is my lot in life now, and I'm going to be here as opposed yeah. to not necessarily in a in a romantic sort of way and not necessarily that he loves it there but it's sort of you know because i mean you have to think about it right like what is he going back to he mentions that he had like no family or anything like that so he was like the first one to sign up for this potentially one-way mission and that's the other thing is they he you know going back a little bit he mentions that they told him they told that NASA told the the crew it could potentially be a one way mission and she quest she Gemma questions at one point if they were purposely sent on a suicide mission oh yeah because it uh, it was like you know it's like they were being sacrificed right because I have that in my notes too. It's like they were being sacrificed. Um, yeah, because that's what happened. We saw that in an earlier episode, didn't we? Yes. You know, so yeah, it's like they're being sacrificed. Exactly. Um, but when he but he still gives it a shot for her. You know, he misses, but he tries, you know, because it's but like, did he? Well, is, isn't it? Isn't it amazing that the terrain changed just as they were getting there? Like as it because they saw it as they were going and it was closer. And then all of a sudden, as they got there, the terrain changed and it was farther away. Right. You know? And so when he misses the shot, the look on her face is like, Oh, all is lost. You know, it's all, it's all over. This is it. And of course he's right there to jump in and comfort her. You know, he's, he's right there to, you know, um, and then, you know, it's like suddenly, you know, she has hope all, all, you know, she's now she, she was the voice of hope and now she's got no hope and he's there to comfort her. And with no hope, she turns to him, which makes me feel sad for him because up to that point, yeah, they're getting closer and everything, but she's still got that hope of getting back to Fitz. And then there's no hope. And then she turns to him, you know, right. and it's like, you're the second choice, you know, and I feel sad for him that, you know, suddenly he's the, he's the second choice, you know, and but... it, you know, it just, it just seems, it just seems sad to me. And then we see them fall into, you know, like you said before, the sitcom married routine, you know, things are, things are going, you know, like they have like their little getting ready and everything is bopping along and everything is fine. And they decide that they're going to go watch the once a, you know, whatever, once a year, I guess, sunrise. I think it's once a year. Yeah. Something yeah, like that. They're, they're, they're going to get to watch the sunrise for the however many minutes it's going to be there, you know? And um, as they're they're going there to watch the sunrise, 
um, they see the signal and, you know. Well, I think the sandstorm happens and then they after, see the signal or they see the signal, no, then the sandstorm. That's my notes say. Uh, they see the signal and then as if the creature senses hope, it comes for them. You know, and that's when he he shoots the he shoots at the whatever because it's wearing it's wearing one of the astronaut suits. Oh, right? so here's so here's the thing, right? So at this point, I need to jump in because the 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 questions are abound at this point because Gemma and Will get separated. Mm -hmm. Gemma sees an astronaut mm -hmm. motioning to her. Like, come here, come here. Yeah. And she, because she's seen the flare go up. Right. And her immediate thought is, like you said, hope. Yep. To which she sees this astronaut in the storm and she says, it's not mine, it's yours. Will, they came for you. And he's, you hear Will's voice going, Gemma, don't go near it don't you know run away run Look away yeah and she looks and realizes that there's blood splattered on the outfit so my question is you said it's wearing the is it wearing the outfit or is it just a um um uh what's the word uh an illusion yes it's you know what I mean? Like, yeah. is it just sort of showing, it's showing something? Well, not showing her something that she, because she wouldn't have created it with the things on it. You know what I mean? But earlier we see the billowy cape, the very Dementor looking thing. Right. In form, you know, so I guess it realized that she wasn't going to come to that. So she's going to go to what appears to be the the save saving grace whatever the the nasa uh astronaut yeah you know well i mean like a, a nasa person nasa thing. what did i say it sounds like you're saying nasa like the county in new york no nasa but you said nasa nasa anyway what you is with your pronunciations? I've talked this way my entire life. I've talked this way your entire life. And suddenly you pick on how I talk. It's not suddenly. I know. It's not suddenly. Don't, all don't do sudden, that. All of a sudden you start. All right. Welcome to Ruth's last episode, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> uh, I would I would never do that. No, that's just terrible. Um, I hate when but so anyway, um, so yeah, so Will is there, yeah, because she sees the, you know, he's yelling, don't go near it, don't, you know, whatever. And she sees the blood splatter. And then at what you said about Will's shooting at it. So mm -hmm. let's go back a little bit because at some point, I can't remember when, but at some point she finds that he, that Will has a gun. Yeah. And she's like freaked out about that. And he mentions that there's only one bullet left. And he figured that if and when things got too unbearable, he would use it. Right. So that's that at that point, that should always kind of be in the back of our minds. Because and honestly, 
that stands to reason once again going with like the humanity aspect of it if you think you're you know it's been 14 years you think you're alone whatever like yeah like that just makes sense unfortunately but then again we don't know how long it was that they were there like how long the other astronauts lived before even still it does it seems like it was quite a while well, okay, so it's kind of interesting. So the title of the show is 4,722 Minutes. Hours. Right? Hours, sorry, hours. That works out to over six months. Which is about the length of the break between seasons one exactly. and two. Yeah. Or but seasons I mean, two and three, I mean. You know, but it's it. That's the you know, it's it's like six and a half months that she's been there with him. You know, so it's kind of it. It's kind of interesting. You know, the 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 time that she was there, and yeah, I mean, I I, I can't imagine. I can't imagine being a year. Well, maybe a year, but like completely by yourself. Pretty much at that point, now we know he's got like no hope his his hope is completely gone and everything so yeah having that bullet i don't know how long i would have i wouldn't because i'm chicken but you know like to have have used it you know it's 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 interesting so your 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 thought process was when you heard the the gunshot that you thought that he killed himself no no but i just wanted to make the point of he had he specifically claimed that he had one bullet left yeah and actually, so that's later in my notes i have something about that too well and so sh- they get again they get separated she's yelling out for him he's you know and oh it's your team they've come to rescue you she's yelling or he's yelling back don't go near it don't go near it the sand the storm picks up they sh- you know she can't necessarily see anything and she's yelling will 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 and then i think right in there is maybe where we hear the gunshot and then she's still you know yelling will 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 and then uh she suddenly hears another voice and it's her you know her name being yelled and she turns the opposite way and realizes and starts yelling Fitz? Fitz? Yep, and she goes towards Fitz. And she she because by all accounts based off of what she again what she knows with regards to the one bullet and whatever, there was one bullet left. Yeah. Right? Like she doesn't she doesn't know did Will shoot this thing to protect her cuz she doesn't hear him anymore. He's not yelling to her. Did she kill himself? She doesn't know. Because yeah. one could also question, did this thing, was it about to get him? And he was there like after 14 years, I'm not saying this exactly, but pretty much, you know what I mean? Like after 14 years, I've outlasted you. I'm going I'm out not- on my terms, not yours. Yep. Yep. You know, she hears Fitz yelling for her. She turns the opposite way back towards where the flare came from, starts screaming for Fitz and whatnot. And then they see each other they grab hands and then we saw the conclusion of that uh in a previous episode where she comes back in they they vibrated the um 
Daisy vibrated the thing to cause the uh, the thing, the portal to to open. And we then cut back to S.H.I.E.L.D. base. And I don't know if you have any notes before I get to this specific nope. spot. Um, but we get back to shield base and it, you know, she's, she's, uh, Gemma has been telling, uh, Fitz this whole story and Fitz immediately like gets up and he not like runs away, but he like goes toward the, the computers and whatnot. And she's of course thinking like, oh my gosh, I just told the man that I've seemingly, Seemingly, the man that she loves, the man that she knows loves her, that she was about to have a life with another man that she clearly cares about. Because they, yep. they built her, again, whether you want to, you know, say a Stockholm or a Florence Nightingale, whatever, something, they developed feelings. Were they real feelings or were they, you know, that whole like desert island feeling, you know, it wouldn't if you were the last person on earth, try it and see if, you know what I mean, how that actually works out for you sort of thing. But there was feelings they felt them they were real to them in the moment so they were real feelings right it's like you know you that's your big thing when it comes to like anybody of any age where it's you know like a kid you know who has like a crush on like a celebrity and then they get their heart broken or they you know whatever and it's like to that or even you know they they're with someone and it's you know the first you know 13 year olds or probably younger now but you know what i mean like they go through their first breakup and everybody of course you know everybody that's older is like oh my gosh like you know it seems like they're being over dramatic or whatever but like what say it again i said it's like you're gonna go through that so many times and blah 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 right no but in that moment oh yeah it's 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 real it's the Sabrina thing where um, she has to go through the uh, go through the trial to save Harvey. And it's like, well, how do you like, you know, it has to you have to it's the true love trials. And so they're like, how did you know she was going to survive it? And it's because she's 16. It's always true love. Right. Exactly. And, and so there's you know, there's that it's like it's always true love when you're right and that's the thing is like to there's you you can't tell me and yes they're fictional characters whatever but like you can't tell me that what they were feeling wasn't real was it logical no was it based off of this you know was it circumstantial yes in in our then that's the thing is they were in it they were feeling it we don't get a say in how they feel right nobody gets a say in who's in in anybody else's feelings right however However, from Fitz's point of view, and for, from Gemma's point of view, she's thinking that Fitz is there going, shit, I love this woman. It took me like two years to finally ask her out that she disappeared through a portal. Now she's back and she's telling me that she, you know, might have fallen in love with this other man, whatever. That's a Fitz. Uh, Simmons is thinking that Fitz is thinking this, but Fitz's first thought, because he does love her so much he shows her the plans and the possibilities to get back to the planet to rescue will yep that's and he says you know you're he's important to you so we have to get him back yep my notes say poor fitz the woman he loves is pining for someone else and what does he do he offers to help find the guy for her you know because that's what happens you know that's 
when you love someone, you will do whatever it takes to make them happy, even if it's not with you. You know? Oh, I do. So, you know, there there is that. And then the last of my notes uh, is about what happens on the other side of the portal. You know, yes. we see people about, you know, trying to have his one moment in the sun and it's gone. And this is my notes. Poor Will, his one moment in the sun and it's gone, like Gemma, and his only bullet to escape the planet. You know? Right. It, it, that's just a sad, like you said earlier, it's a cliffhangery ending for it. You know? Like, what happens now? You know, is that the last we see of Will? Is he gone? You know? And I have, I, I, I mean, the, the Wikipedia article on has, Wikipedia has a whole article on this particular episode because um, this was production wise, such a, a complex uh, and detailed episode. Yeah, um, I have, a, I have a whole ton of trivia on this episode. Well, so I wonder if some of the stuff that you have is stuff that I would end up reading anyway. Um so do you want me to read the trivia that I have? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so uh, I already read the um, trivia. This is from IMDB. Um, so I already read about the the astronauts, right? Um, I We talked about the fact that uh, 4,722 is the equivalent of six and a half months. Um, the episode was named one of the best television episodes of 2015, by the uh, Atlantic, the newspaper. Um, the, the majority of the episode was filmed in a work quarry in Simi Valley and Northridge, Los Angeles, near the Mojave Desert. Um, it says both the title and Gemma's quote, 4,722 hours, the average person can survive up to three weeks without food but only 100 hours without water uh, seemed to continue a tendency of inserting the number 47, this time four seven. ABC even promoted the new series Wicked City from 2015 during the commercial break at 13 minutes by flashing a neon sign saying in 47 minutes. Um, so the, so the, and then it goes on to talk about 47 but so i don't know if you know what do you know what 47 the significance of 47 is isn't that the name of the the killer in the hitman video games isn't that like okay his number? so but, but there's actually there it, 47 is very prevalent in all kinds of things and there's there's a theory that it is the perfect prime number right a lot of it is tied to the um, the Pomona uh, Pomona College, right? And it says to the un this is from this is from their magazine, right? To the uninitiated, forty seven is a mystery. To knowledgeable Pomona stagehands, forty seven is dogma. To socialists, to sociologists, forty seven is a prime example of a minor piece of whimsy that somehow developed into, into a legend of mythical proportions. 
This is continuing on in the article. It says, in 1964, a tongue-in-cheek student project to determine whether the number 47 appeared more often in nature than any other random numbers turned into a wholesale 47 hunt that has continued to this day and is even celebrated at Pomona on April 7th. After all, you can't deny the evidence. Pomona College is located at exit 47 of the San Bernardino Freeway. There are 47 pipes in the top row of the Lyman Hall organ. It's a, a pipe organ at the school. At the time of Pomona's first graduating class in 1894, there were 47 students enrolled. The Bible credits Jesus with 47 miracles. The Declaration of Independence has 47 sentences. There are 47 strings on a concert harp. In the freshman class that entered Pomona College in the year 2000, there were 47 valedictorians. Even Hollywood has gotten in on the act. From art films to sci-fi to Will Ferrell vehicles, Pomona's enduring in-joke has slipped past countless millions of moviegoers and tube watchers in recent years. On TV's Lost, 47 people survive the plane crash. In The 40-Year-Old Virgin, Steve Carell keeps a collection of 47 G.I. Joes. Watch Monsters, Inc. closely and you'll spot an accident-free-for-47-days sign on the Scare Factory floor. In 2009, uh, the 2009 blockbuster reboot of Star Trek alludes to 47 Klingon vessels being destroyed. There's even a much-viewed YouTube spoof of Jim Carrey's The Number 3. 23. 23, substituting 47. It goes back as far as The Absent-Minded Professor in 1961. The Disney comedy features a basketball game filmed at Pomona's old Red Renwick Gym. The final score, 47 to 46. The recent spate of number dropping started in the 90s in early incarnations of Star Trek. One of the class of 79 was a writer for The Next Generation and later Voyager and Deep Space Nine when he started slipping 47s into the show. The producer eventually got wind and shut down the underground effort, but 47 keeps popping up on all sorts of shows. So that's, you know, kind of interesting when you think about where, like, for, how many times 47 comes up. So then it goes on in, in back to IMDb. And it says um, in the episode uh, SOS Part 1 and SOS Part 2, they had a six-foot-tall 47 in the room where the artifacts that transport Simmons was kept in the last few minutes of the season finale, they pan back and show the carrier number on the Island 74, which is kind of interesting. Yeah. Um, okay. Going on um, in 2016, uh, IGN ranked the episode as the best in the series. The actress was named TV Line's Performer of the Week 
for her performance in this episode, particularly for appearing throughout the whole of it and for the more heartbreaking scenes near the end. Um, because, I'm sorry, I want to go back to this for just a second, though, because one of the things that I think is interesting, and it's it's something that I'm curious your thoughts on this, because it's it's established, at least in our lives, I don't know if it's been super established in the podcast, but you are not a fan of non-linear storytelling. Yeah. You're not you're not so big into flashbacks. You're not so big into even the end of this episode reveals that the entire thing was a flashback. And you know, like you you don't like that. You you absolutely hate when a show starts out in the middle of turmoil whatever and then it you know it, it, you, And then it goes 37 days earlier. Right. Oh, sorry. 47 days earlier. Yeah, I knew that was coming. Um <laughs> But you know what I mean? So like you, you absolutely hate that. But there are a few things in this episode that I think that they did such a good job with writing and the acting and like the, you know, the direction and all that. But I think like the, the entire cast and crew did such a good job that you forget for the you know for the amount of time of the episode you forget that like they it get your hopes a, up yeah. no, 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 but like they get your hope and what i mean by that is by the end of the episode excuse me the end of the episode or they're about you know near the end of the episode there's a moment where i'm not saying i felt it i'm not saying you felt it but it's it would be completely understandable if some people are there going like yeah will and Gemma. on the other hand when they are on the planet and like they go to uh they're gonna send the the message through the you know in the bottle to Fitz and you know he's gonna help figure things out and whatever. And we know if you take a step back, we know a message in a bottle never came through. We know this because the way the only way that they were able to make the the portal open was by manipulating it via the vibration that Daisy caused. It wasn't time necessarily for the thing to right. open. It was they manipulated it. So we know that there is no uh you know whatever. But they do, I think, they do such a good job of, in the moment, making you believe that when the portal opens and they're rushing to get the the, the spear or whatever it is, the harpoon or whatever, your heart, my heart at least, even, and I'm saying this as someone who, you know, looks at things a lot more critically now that I do these podcasts, when I... I still try to get myself lost in the episodes. Your heart's pounding and you're you're hoping beyond hope that it's going to that message is going to get through and then it doesn't and then your hopes are dashed, right? Just like Gemma in that moment. You're there going, "Oh my gosh, I can't believe this. Now what?" 
Because you're supposed to forget for just a moment that she, we already know she's back in the present. Yeah. We already know, we already knew that a message in a bottle never came through. But I think personally that the, the writers, the producers, the directors, and the actors did such a good job of making me forget that for a little bit that it's not until afterwards when you watch it and you go, oh yeah, of course that, of course that didn't work because we know that it didn't work because we already saw what happened from the other side of the portal. But I think they do such a good job that they make you think Gemma and Will maybe, or, oh, I can't believe that the, that the, you know, I, I really thought they were going to get that message through or whatever. But we already know. We already know that Fitz, we, I mean, if you, you know, if you look at the time and whatever, you realize the episode's almost over. We already know that Fitz is going to save Gemma because that's what happened, right? We saw that happen in, I think it was the episode or two previous to this when Daisy does the, the vibration thing and, and whatever. We saw that happen. We saw him go through. We saw him yeah, shouting we, for her and whatever. We've seen things that we thought we saw and then find out that not necessarily on this show, but like it was a dream or it was, you know what I mean? Like um, writers and producers have a way of taking things back that we think we know. Oh, I'm not so, saying that, but you know, I'm just saying, I think like, again, towards the end, you're there going like, is it a, like you sh you should be per what I think what the writers want you to feel in that moment. That's what I'm when when I say you should be feeling this or whatever. My opinion is based off of what I would think the writers and the the crew and all of that want you to be feeling. You should be questioning: Is this because the sandstorm is happening? So is this really fits? coming for her is that you know what's what exactly is going on here because by the same token will thought at the beginning that Gemma wasn't real even yeah. though she was physically there and whatever and then so it, in theory you Gemma's mind and you as the viewer should be for a brief second going is Fitz really there we know he's there we saw him rescue her we saw it already. We Again, I go back to the message in the bottle. We saw or we didn't see a message in a bottle come through the portal. We saw that not happen. But again, I think they did such a fantastic job with it that you forget that. You, you, what, I, there's a, there's a term and I, I use it when I refer to wrestling quite a lot, but it's really, it can be applied to, to anything. The suspension of disbelief. Yeah, that's actually a thing from uh, uh, cartoons. We're right. With oh no, I understand. That. I'm just saying, but like a lot of times when I when I, uh, I when I use that term, I apply it to wrestling because like there's an undead wizard man who can summon lightning from the ceiling, and you know well, what I mean, yeah. like whatever. But yeah, yeah. When but, you see the cart, when you see the characters run off the cliff, and then they stop and realize that they're off the cliff. Yeah, they, they don't actually. Down, yeah, they don't fall till they look down. Gravity continues yeah. to work as long as you don't look down. <laughs> yes. 
But like I said, in my opinion, I think that they did such a, like I said, because you said, you know, she was the performer of the week and, and it was, you know, nominated and all of these things. Oh, yeah. And I think that's because sure. they did yeah. such a good job with it in just oh, yeah. about every aspect that they make you think all of these things that, again, if you think about it for just a moment, you already know because Wait, you've already you seen from the other side. She portrayed the the heartache and the hope and the all like she really conveyed all the emotions in this you know you see the despair and you see the hope and you see the anguish and you see all the things and she did such a great job of literally becoming Gemma you know it's weird I saw I saw a movie with her where she uses she used an American accent oh that was weird Oh, uh, I mean, yeah, I bet. Did you, you have know, more just... trivia? No, that was the end. Okay. Uh, well, actually, there was one thing, but I don't, I don't understand it. So I'm going to read it, and you tell me you make sense of it. Okay? okay. It says Simmons is shown using her phone for a long time after arriving. She mentions after a month conserving battery power, and later on that Fitz engineered an improved battery. After 1,490 hours, 62 days, she's shown playing a video. Over 3,000 hours, 125 days, she's still using the phone and has enough power to interface with the old NASA computer. The iPhone, which was the current model as of the air date of 2015, when fully charged, had up to 10 days, 240 hours, um... 1400 minutes of standby time using the uh, using 15 minutes of battery per day would allow the phone to be used for 960 days well in excess of the 196 days she was there so okay. i don't know what they're saying it was possible or not possible well i think what they're saying is she Basically, if she had done everything now, you got to also remember that iPhones and most other phones as well. But uh, the older they become, the more there's uh, basically like a, you know, uh, the phone, you could charge it up to 100, but really it's, you know, 90 percent or whatever. You know, it's like it's a. Yeah, it's but a, I mean, they're saying that that was the latest phone at the time, so it should have been relatively new. Right. But I think what they're saying is she didn't, even with a supercharged battery, she didn't necessarily have to conserve, you know, say that she's like conserving battery because it should have lasted a decent amount of time if you're only doing a few things for a few minutes per day. Um, so uh, I didn't really like make notes, so I'm probably just going to end up reading right from Wikipedia here. Um, in the production section, it says, in September 2015, following the airing of the season's premiere in which the location of the character Gemma Simmons was revealed to be an alien planet, executive producer Jeffrey Bell stated that, quote, at some point we will fully explore what's happened to her, unquote. He called it, quote, the craziest thing we've done, a different kind of episode, unquote. The next month, Marvel announced that the episode, the fifth of the season, would be titled 4,722 Minutes, written by Craig, I don't know if it's Titley or Tightly, with Jesse Bochco directing. 
for the episode instead of the normal title sequence used in the season. The series title in the episode's typeface slightly fades onto the screen over the backdrop of the planet Simmons is stranded on. Um, let's also, because a lot of things are, are referenced to the fact of this being the equivalent of a bottle episode. Because even though it's not in one fixed location, it's almost in real time it to an extent you get what i mean um but it's also focused on like one specific thing it's not like we're we're not cutting back and forth between multiple storylines and you know what right. have you um under the writing section it says the decision to dedicate an entire episode to simmons time on the planet was made early in the planning of the third season so that the character could rejoin the rest of the cast early in the season while avoid having while avoiding having the second season's cliffhanger, quote, feel worthless because she's back and she's fine, unquote. The use of the titular hours to mark the passage of time came about after the idea of the planet not having a sunrise was set, as using days was then no longer reasonable. The series writer's room worked together to break the story, which took around an hour and a half rather than the usual few weeks. Series writer and supervising producer Brent Fletcher came up with the idea to split the four, uh, 47, 22 hours into five acts with each written like the chapter of a book. The acts were given labels such as The Stranger and The Plan, and this structure served as the basis for the script. Uh, though many similarities were noted, and this I thought was interesting, though many similarities were noted between uh, the episode and the film The Martian, because that came out around the same time, the writer okay. said that he had not seen the film when he was writing the script and instead was inspired by the general science fiction trope of, quote, a person alone on a planet, unquote, and such films as Enemy Mine. I don't know if you remember the movie The Martian, the Matt Damon movie, that's, yeah. uh, he's there and he basically has to create like a farm and he grows potatoes and all that sort of stuff and he's he's left on the on the planet all by himself yeah. Yeah, yeah. um it says elizabeth henstridge that's Gemma simmons uh described the episode as quote a coming of age story i think we see simmons at the start and she's never really been combat ready we see her have to survive and just to see her go on this journey from complete despair, unquote. Henstridge also noted thriller elements in the script. On the moment in the episode where she loses hope, Henstridge explained, quote, I never thought we'd see her get to that place. It justifies her relationship with Will, too, because she was ready to end it all, and he was the one who pulled her back from the brink, unquote. Uh, concerning that relationship with new character Will Daniels, the executive producers worked with the writer, whose name, again, I, I don't know how to pronounce his surname, so I don't want to say it incorrectly, uh, to try and make it feel earned in the episode, given the fan following of Fitzsimmons, the potential relationship between Simmons and Leo Fitz. Executive producer Jed Whedon also noted that are on this that the episode quote wasn't a story about the two of them on this planet but a story about Fitz hearing this and how he will respond he breaks your heart at the end she breaks your heart and hopefully you're feeling for all three involved unquote it then goes on to talk about 2001 being a reference to the space odyssey and then the fellow astronauts like you talked about um 
it says that all the cast was credited. However, the majority of the cast does not ultimately appear with only Henstridge. And I don't know how to pronounce his name. It's D- the guy who plays uh, Fitz. It's D. D- K. Stecker, maybe, uh, playing notable roles. We do see a video of the rest of them very quickly, but they're. But we don't see everybody because that was one of the things that I, I skipped over was the fact that we don't see, for the first time since they appeared, we don't see Hunter, we don't see Bobby, and we don't see Mac at all in this. We see May and Colson and um, Daisy. It's very possible that this, that obviously that video could have been before those three, those other three joined right. the team. But that's what I'm saying. But we, that's the thing is we don't, we don't see them in, in that's the first, but it's the first time since they've been part of the cast that they weren't in at least part of an episode. Right. You know, Um. And it actually says Whedon said that the others basically had a week off. And then it does say Dylan Casey guest stars as Will Daniels. On the series having an episode revolving around a single character, Whedon said, quote, We have a lot of people on the show, and we felt like this year was the year to start branching off into things like this, so we just committed wholeheartedly, unquote. In casting Casey as Daniels, the producers wanted someone who was older than Henstridge, physically unlike... uh, the guy who plays Fitz, again, I'm, I'm not quite sure how to pronounce uh, his yeah. surname, um, and, quote, doesn't look like Simmons' type, unquote, to make it less clear that they would end up together. I'd actually argue against that because he very much gives Ward vibes, and we've already yeah. seen her kind of fall for that. I was just going to say that. She, she she apparently has two types. Right. Um, it talks about filming uh, work quarry in the Simi Valley and in Northridge, Los Angeles, near the Mojave Desert during the day with director of photography Felix Parnell using a filtering effect inspired by Mad Max Fury Road to make it appear to be nighttime. Did not know that part. I thought that I, no. I think that's incredibly interesting. Um, well- tell there was some kind of filter because everything is blues and whatever which is even at nighttime you wouldn't get you wouldn't necessarily get those colors without it being added well the filter yes obviously but again we talked about that at the beginning how that's supposed to be like the you know the indication that it's another planet um it says this was seen to be more practical than night shooting in the desert given that almost every scene takes place during the 18 year long night on the planet Because of this, the production struggled with the intense heat of the desert. Around 22 minutes of extra footage was shot for the episode that had to be cut, including a subplot in which Simmons loses her grandmother's necklace and Daniels finds it for her. Ooh, did not know that was a thing. Um... And then it says on how continuity was emphasized during the making of the episode, Bochco, that was the director, uh, explained that for each of the episode's five acts, there was a different stage of hair, makeup, and wardrobe so that the crew could depict the physical changes to Simmons as time progresses. Rather than try and film the episode in complete order, which was impossible due to location scheduling needs, the production just tried to avoid changing from one stage to another and then back again. On how much the, the episode shows the entity on the planet, Bochco and the writer, again, titly, tightly, not sure, compared it to the shark in Jaws, with the episode just showing, quote, it's fin from time to time, unquote. 
and then I can't read the rest of the sentence. Um, but Spoiler? that what's that? Spoiler. Yeah. Well, I mean, again, not for you and I because we've seen the series, but right, potentially right. yes. Um, and then it, the Wikipedia article goes on to talk about um, the like rating, the, the the critical response that it got, and so on. Um, but uh, yeah, um, it was a very a very intense, um, very like you know, like the creator said, it's very unlike anything that they had done. I don't remember. Are there other episodes that focus this much on one character? I don't. Um, I feel like we either get some or we, I don't, I offhand, I don't, I can't think of another off the top you know of my I, head. Like that doesn't said, mean that they don't exist, but off the top of my head, I can't remember. Yeah. Yeah. So like I said that it's, you know, it's it's a very it's a very intense and and given the fact that it's a single storyline throughout. Do you know what I mean? Like most of them jump from one to the next, which is like why I said the bottle episode concept, yeah. Yeah. They go back and forth from different characters and this is just one. It was a very intense um excuse me, a very intense episode. Um, did I mean, I'm not saying that we can't say anything else, but did we want to move on to the discussion of Among Us Hide? Because yeah. even though it was a very intense episode and whatnot, we do, you know, we are doing multiple episodes per podcast. So we did watch yep. the episode Among Us Hide, uh, yes. episode six. Um and I have to say that because the episode that we watched, that we just discussed and whatnot, is one of my personal favorites, I found myself not as not not as interested. Because I remember when watching this originally, obviously it was a week-to-week thing, right? Like we weren't binging this like we can now. We were watching it when it was released week-to-week. And I remember being excited because I remember wanting to know what's the fallout from this inhuman thing. Who is this, you know, giant inhuman hunter that they're that they're looking for and, you know, all this other stuff. But watching it now with the bottle episode, the Gemma episode right before it, I found myself not wanting to focus on that as much. I don't know if you feel the same way. No, I don't know. Or if you maybe felt like you wanted to get back to that because we just had a whole episode without it. I kind of wanted to know what else is going on. You know what I mean? Like, um, I mean, it was, a, it was a great, it was, it was a, it was a nice pause, but there's so much other stuff going on that to have put all that on the back burner for, for, an entire episode makes you wonder what else is happening you know like at least it did to me you know like what else what else is going on what did we miss in the time i mean and granted obviously if it was Gemma telling the story it was probably an hour you know but it just seems like it was longer 
you know? Right. So you kind of want to know what happened to the other characters. But anyway, um, so this starts out like my, my first note is, oh, no, wait, hold on. Never mind. Um, my first note is, have we ever seen May this scattered at the beginning of this episode? I don't, not, um, well, it's because of who it involves, right? Yeah. Well, yeah, but she doesn't know, like, she doesn't know at that point what it is. So, hold on, just, can can we stick a pin for a second? Yeah. Okay. I want to try and find what it was. Find what what was. What had her scattered. Because my notes are, you know. The attack on Andrew. Has May scattered? Yes. Okay, that makes sense. Well, because... Okay, when we're recording this, it's been a minute since I watched this episode. Well, you wait, know, are we are we keeping this in? No. Okay. Okay. Because I I gotta because I'm like I watched it and I have all the notes and I'm going because I read through them and I'm like okay, but I'm like um wait what happened? Yeah. You know. So you want me to pick it up? Yeah. Okay. So what had happened uh, in the the previous episode, the episode before, was um, at the gas station, um, the former, the son, I think it was like Strucker, Von Strucker's son or something like that, was sent by Ward to uh, go after Andrew. May's uh, ex-husband, who she obviously still loves and cares for. Um, And because there was other people following him and all this sort of stuff. And then the gas station exploded. So at the beginning of this episode, we, uh, Andrew is being brought in to um, like the S.H.I.E.L.D. base. And that's May is pissed because he's hurt, obviously. And like you said, she's kind of scattered. And the first thing that she does is she goes and attacks Bobby. And they have like a like a a fight or whatever. And it turns out that May is seeing if Bobby is ready to go, like ready to fight and get back into the fight and be back on on duty in the field right but my question is so she's if you watch the fight scene right bobby keeps saying she's ready she's ready she's ready and may appears to believe that she's ready but if you watch her she's protecting that leg to me that becomes a liability right if she's i don't she i didn't watch the fight scene that intensely i don't I don't think that she was, I think she was not, um, 
because it's it's sort of that question right where it's like if they if it was a hundred percent real like may obviously was like i'm gonna put i'm gonna put effort into this and see if bobby's ready and at first bobby was like what the hell are you doing it didn't fight back and then she was like okay now i'm gonna fight back but you still wonder like did she hold back a little because may is her friend and did may hold back a little because uh because bobby is her friend friend co-worker what you know whatever the case may yeah. be because they would probably both classify the you know i don't have friends uh sort yeah. of thing but you wonder if they were both holding back because it seems like we're supposed to think that may is for real and then you again you know you watch it you're like oh okay maybe she was holding back and then you're supposed to think the opposite where oh bobby was holding back and then it became for real and whatever but i think you're i think again then you're supposed to kind of wonder like was she also holding back but like you, i said you know, again but the way that the way that she moves and the way that she fights, she's protecting that leg. And that's, again, to, I, to my mind, that I becomes didn't a notice that personally. But it seems to me that that would be a liability that May should have picked up on that she, the way that she stands, the way that she kicks, the way that she moves is as someone who has been, had an injured leg, you know, there is a difference in the way that you do certain things because you know that there's a weakness you know you you step differently and whatever so you know it just it just seemed to me that she was that she was protecting that you know um one of my notes uh so we you know they're getting ready to go right so may checks to make sure that you know bobby's up to speed and whatever and she wants to go after she wants to go after ward right yeah right so um hunter is there waiting he wants to go and of course they don't want him you know i think colson doesn't want him to what doesn't want him to necessarily go because you know he's got some things going on well, May um, doesn't necessarily, I'm sorry to interrupt, but May doesn't necessarily want him involved either, because if I remember correctly, from her point of view, the last, like, Hunter had Ward God, and chose God. Bobby, chose to yeah. save Bobby instead of yep. kill Ward. Yeah. And that's another thing. Like, earlier in this episode, we see Ward a little bit. He doesn't look injured. Like, when you see him, and it, maybe it's the posturing because he's in charge, but he was shot in the shoulder or in the back, somewhere like that. He doesn't, and it's a very short period of time. Like Bobby's still coming back, but he doesn't appear injured at all. But, you know, moving forward past that. So May doesn't want to take Hunter, but I, so they do this, they, they say, you know, the thing. Right. What's the thing between Bobby and Hunter? Because he said something about you didn't you didn't say the thing. I don't remember. Because they don't like I, I'm guessing that they don't I love you or they don't be careful or whatever. But whatever it is, they, there's a comment about you didn't do the thing. I'm going to look it up now because I I don't remember, but continue whatever you were saying. 
well, no, that was one of my things was like, what was the thing? You know, but when, when she's leaving, Bobby is talking to Hunter and she tells him that she's ready and she's not lying. She also doesn't look him in the face. She does not look him in the eye when she tells him that she's ready. Right. She, she like, she does not at all look, look at him to see, you know, to, oh, I, I'm, I'm good. You know, like, I mean, if you're good, you look at the person and you say, I'm, I'm good, you know, see me looking at you. There's no, you know, especially in their position. Um, eye contact is a big thing, you know, in, in espionage and whatever, you know, cause you can read people. That's what they do is they read people. So you would think that they would have noticed that he would have noticed that Bobby is not looking at him, you know, but maybe he's just inside his own head. You know, did you find what the thing was? No. I don't know what it is. I'll have to look and, and find it for next episode. Cause I meant to, and then I forgot. And I thought maybe you would know because you know, all the things. But I don't know this the thing. Okay. Um, but anyway, uh, but so Ward Ward knows that they're looking for him, so he sends somebody after the the he sends them out for for uh um the kid, right? What kid? Uh, Von Stryker's kid. He sends his goon to go get the, the to take care of the kid. Yeah, because because what happened was Strucker's kid went to Gideon Malik, who is actually from what I what I saw, it's an actor who was in uh, the Avengers, the film. Yeah, but yep. uh, I guess he wasn't he wasn't like given a name there so then the show like expanded upon his character yeah he was just a, he was a member of the world council yeah he was just he was just on the world council but we don't we don't know who he is other than that he was just there right you know but what i'm for, saying is but so then the show decided to expand upon oh, yeah. that character and so now we find out that you know he's hydra and you know whatever um, but that's where he hides out because he's like, oh, you and my father got along and, you know, you gotta, you know, you have to help me and, and whatever. Um, so then he, like he pretty much, he tells, he, uh, Malik tells, um, Ward, you know, he wasn't ready. You, this is your fault because you sent him out and he wasn't ready. You know, he, he tells him he wasn't, he wasn't ready for field work. So kind of like he tells Ward, it's it's pretty much on you. You you kind of set yourself up for this, right? You know, but it's there's an interesting phrase that when Malik tells the kid, the kid says um, he asks him for help, and Malik says, "I'll handle everything." Not exactly what the kid thinks of when he says, "So you'll help me." Because, because handling everything is not helping the kid. Okay. Right. Uh, yes, but tell us what that means. Well, because he goes to he goes to 
he goes to wardens like you know i i have the kid i know you know what what's going on like the kid thinks he's gonna go after he thinks malik is gonna go after ward and because he was so high ranking in hydra that he's gonna take his side in it you know like he's gonna almost i i think the kid thinks that he's gonna put him in a better position do you know what i mean yes and that is not at all what what malik that's malik's in my again my opinion malik's thought is what's in this for me oh yeah he absolutely he absolutely uses because he he ends up giving ward info that's the hydra that's the hydra way what's in this for me but like i said he ends up giving ward info on the kid oh yeah that's what i'm saying yep he tells him he tells him where the kid is um and then the the guy goes to torture him uh what's his name kibo yep um the two i mean uh, i'm not trying to like skip ahead or or necessarily take away from that but the two things that i really took away from this episode was uh the colson storyline of um you know whatever this relationship is business platonic potentially romantic that he is uh beginning with um Rosalind Price. Yeah. Because he is set to go and see the ATCU's facility where they've been housing inhumans and whatnot, because there's been this whole power play throughout the season so far of you know, oh, you got to trust our organization. Well, your organization has to trust my organization. And they clearly don't, but they have to sometimes. And she seemingly sets up a robbery at her house. And Colson, of course, doesn't necessarily believe it and whatnot. Um, he thinks that she has planted specific things there for him, such as baseball memorabilia that, of course, would interest him. She brings food that is, uh, you know, something that that he would like and whatnot. Um, and he's like, I'm not playing this game. And then she gets very upset, like it's not a game. And. I mean, maybe I'm wrong or i completely missed something but she's she likes him and she's trying to like move away from like just business right yeah but it, i can see his point because it's like there's so well yeah he doesn't pick up on that i'm sorry to interrupt you but like he doesn't pick up on that but i think she's trying to make it wouldn't you rather spend time with me than some frozen inhumans? And he's like, you're trying to keep me away from the frozen inhumans, which is not the same thing. Well, yeah. But again, you know, it's it's a matter of she's done this crap to him in the past. So, you know, he he has trust issues. They all have trust issues, you know? So it's it's a matter of 
you know, think the worst and be proven wrong rather than think the best and be proven wrong. Right. You know, so, I mean, I, I, I see your point, but I still don't trust her, you know, like, no, and I don't think we're supposed to, but I think that this was, cause she says, like he says about the baseball memorabilia, he's like, oh, you just happened to have that out. And she says that that was her late husband's. And, and the thing that, that I, I don't doubt that some of it was there strategically put there so that Colson may see it, but I don't think that she has it because of Colson. Like I, I, I think because of the story that she tells when they finally get to the facility and we'll get to that in just a moment. I think that the stuff was her ex-husband's, but like I said, I think that she may have seen this as an opportunity to get to know Phil and get to talk because it's it's sort of it's sort of the the Bobby Hunter thing right like uh, and even to a certain extent in the earlier season uh it's I think it was season yeah it had to be season one May and Ward and whatever like and it goes back to what we were talking about even with the previous episode you tend to gravitate for lack of a better word toward people who are like you or work with you or similar scenario to you or whatever right like that's why you know like spy you know the whole thing is like spies get together right and like again in season one it was it was ward and may and it was like not it was just physical like there was no like feelings involved and and whatever because obviously he also had a flirtationship with well at the time she was sky now she's daisy you know and whatever and then uh that's sort of why even though they're divorced they still clearly have feelings for each other with with uh hunter and and bobby and it's i think it's partially the you know no one understands the lifestyle like the uh, like someone else that's in the lifestyle and i think price has that too she's the top of a secret government organization in charge of these things that she can't really tell anybody and blah 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 who's i mean yeah like the that guy that that is like her her you know number one guy like automatically you would think that she might you know develop something with that person because like that happens a lot right where like a celebrity will fall in uh fall in love with their bodyguard uh, their bodyguard or you know like a like um was it it was years years back uh jennifer lopez fell in love and married her backup dancer you know what i mean and like things like that like that makes sense right but in this case she's you know powerful head of a, a secret government organization woman has to make life or death calls has to keep all these secrets has to do this that and the third and now here's this man of an equivalent ish age uh handsome you know clearly and he understands the job stress and all the things he understand yeah. he understands all of that he's also intelligent he's he's you know he was able to well so granted she led them on 
But like she set up this ruse earlier in the season where she they were like, oh, the only time she's ever alone is when she takes the subway. She was setting them up for that, but they figured it out. And then they, you know what I mean? Like they're 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 kind of, again, going back to the whole checkers chess thing. They're kind of playing chess with each other. So there's not only like he's intelligent, but he's also like strategic and he's like on another level with stuff because he has to be, again, as the director of you know, another government agency, whatever. So he's, he, I don't want to say equal, but arguably for lack of a better word, he's her equal. So it would make sense that she might think this, this is someone that I could get to know, not necessarily fall in love with and have a family and, you know, all the things, but it stands to reason that she may want to get to know him better. So what better way than saying, Let's have food from the place that you like. That was strategic on her part. She had, I believe, she had the baseball-related things already, but maybe they just happened to be out. Strategic. Right, but, but so, but I believe that the break-in was rigged because otherwise they would have taken that stuff. Correct. And that's the other thing is she. he says all of this. He says that whatever, and she's like, kind of like laughing it off like oh you you know you really think so whatever and then he goes one step further than i think she was thinking because then he says and now you happen to have burgers from my favorite place and i think she thought he would realize the ruse and say something along the lines of you know but i got to know you better now or you know why would you do this Roslyn and whatever and then get to get to talk to her and get to know her but he took it in a negative way of very accusatory as opposed to trying to find out why he immediately was like you're keeping me from what I want as opposed to let me find out why you did these things and one could argue that's a male female difference and you know whatever but he went one way and she thought he was going to go the other because she basically she brought in the the food from the place that he likes, whatever. And I again, I think she thought it was going to be where he figured that out. And then it was let's laugh over let's 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 laugh about this over a shared meal of, of something that I did my research on you and I know you enjoy. Whereas he took it as it's just another part of the ruse, Rosalind, you know, sort of thing. And I think that's what upset her. Yeah. So while that's all going on, we see Hunter and Daisy and Mac, right? And they yes. think that is Lash, right? They so think, they think they, who? They think that Banks, her right hand man. Yes. Yeah. They think that he's Lash. So they set out to determine that he is, right? So, I mean, Hunter obviously has anger issues. Because what's the first thing he does? He like kind of walks over and he, you know, punches him in the face, knocks him out, drags him to the car, right? Drags him to the truck. And Mac and Daisy are like, wait, what happened? You know? And and it's kind of funny because like later on, he just leaves him in the he leaves him in the car. Right? Just unconscious and abused. We're just going to leave him in the car. 
the one thing that I loved though, because like he he knocks him out, or I think he ices him. He doesn't knock him out. He ices him, or the night okay. night gun they used to call it, or whatever. And then when he's in the van, they're like, "We need a blood sample." And he just he doesn't even like break eye contact with them, but he just reaches down and punches them. And all I thought of was the the is it Back to the Future two, I think it is when marty mcfly uh so george spoiler alert for a movie that's friggin over 30 years old uh uh george punches biff in the parking lot on at the car when they're teenagers right in the second one because in the first one marty is inside playing guitar or whatever i'm pretty sure and then in the second one, because he goes, they go back to the past a second time. Uh, he, Marty sees this and he, you know, he throws his fist in the air, like cheering, like, yeah, because he didn't get to see it the last time. So he gets to see his old man knock out Biff this time. But he knows that he needs to get the sports almanac off of Biff. So he runs up to him and he's starting to come to. And he's like, it's okay. I know CPR. I know CPR. And there's somebody going, what's CPR? Because it's 1955. Right. And, you know, <laughs> and so Biff's starting to come to, and he goes, hey, it's you. And he punches Biff right in the face, but it's like a jab punch. And I think, I could be mistaken, but I think he punches him like a second time when he's already knocked out. And then he, you know, runs away with the sports almanac and the guy is there going, I think he took his wallet. I think he took his wallet. He turns back and he looks almost right into the camera and goes, I think he took that guy's wallet. One of the funniest, goofiest parts of the movie. But the way that he just kind of like jab punches him as if to be like, just shut up. Like, you know, whatever. That's all I thought of when Hunter did that was like, it was just like so much like, I don't even care. Like I'm just gonna I we we I'm getting what we need I'm getting it done you know what right. I mean? there's a, there's a phrase that I just got to use this at work yesterday I didn't I you know uh, I'll not the language part necessarily but there's an Australian phrase that I think you've heard before and it's um well I'm not here to f spiders yeah you know and it's basically like I had to explain that to someone at my at my work because they were like what does that even mean and it's like well you know it's like when you're ready to do the thing and somebody's like well shall we get to it and it's like well I didn't come here for this you know to, to f spiders and I think that's kind of what it what that punch was where they were like oh how are we going to get blood from whatever and Hunter is just like well bam like because I'm not here to f spiders let's just get this done you know <laughs> mixed with the anger issues of course yes absolutely <laughs> absolutely but daisy has some issues too because um she's she stole the dwarves yes and that actually comes into play a little bit later because she gets really upset because when they get to the facility where the inhumans are being housed is that where you're going with this yeah okay <laughs> Um, so she is incredibly mortified because she sees that it's, there's an inhuman and they're in this, the, I believe, uh, Rosalind, uh, calls it like a stasis 
looks like if you're a fan of fringe you know the concept of amber and that's all i'm gonna say on that it looks like that um and it's taken in there in like a box and it's taken by this mechanical arm and like the arm just whooshes its way down this like almost infinite looking hallway and i guess they like categorize them that's kind of how it seemed and daisy is like freaking out because this is her people uh yeah her people for lack of a better word yes and then the 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 dwarves by the way are the like little um uh what's the word drones um and she sees that Coulson is there and she gets potential, uh, one might even say even more upset because why is Coulson not freaking out about this? Yeah. And she's she's felt, as much as everyone has tried to make her feel involved and welcomed and everything since she went through this change into you know in human form and whatever like being able to have the powers and whatnot she i believe has continued to feel somewhat isolated because it's we're we're going after inhumans but i'm an inhuman you know what i mean and i think there's a really powerful metaphor there for a lot of things now I, i mean obviously i could point to one or two things in particular but it would be it's it, it's like but but Rosalind says that basically what they're doing the reason that the the like why the the person is in stasis is because where she had somebody that kind of coached her through this and helped her deal with it she had link to be able to help her through the change some of these people are hurting themselves or hurting people that they care about because the change is happening in a way that they can't control, you know? And so that's what I don't think does Rosalind say that I'm pretty sure she says something because that because when she says to Colson about the fact that her husband had had cancer and he wasn't like, there was nothing that could be done for him. Right. That part I remember. She can do this for these people who are going through something that pretty much they have no control over. And I think, and I think that's where we, we start to see, or we, I guess, continue to see the sort of fundamental difference, which is between what shield is doing and the ATCU, which is shield thinks that, People the, that the Inhumans can be—I don't want to say reformed, but more. Um, oh God, I'm going to use this word, and it's going to sound absolutely horrible. But I think you'll understand in the context. Domesticated. Um, I think the I think what you're looking for is more. Um, with uh, now I can't think of what the word is. But where they're more brought into the fold than de- domesticated, because domesticated is more for like training animals kind of thing. Where, they're... but are, arguably that's sort of the way that they're looked at, right? They're well, looked at as because yeah. they they are a different species. So can we train 
this can can we train a dog or a wolf or whatever can we train a bear not to bite humans can we train a lion not to attack because there's you know i get a cut on my finger it smells blood and it's not going to attack me many people say yes and I think that that's sort of what they think, right? Because we even saw in the in the first few episodes of this season, there's the one guy who can like melt metal. When he's just around metal, he doesn't melt it. But once he gets like agitated, agitated or anxious or whatever, everything starts to go haywire. Right. So, so can this- they, again, for lack of a better word, domesticate him? Well, I would say educate because that's what they're trying to do is they're trying to help him understand his triggers that cause the, the change, you know, Rosalind is trying to cure or contain more so than help them adapt, which is what, what was the name of the place that they were? Where, uh, where Daisy went through the change. What was the name of that place? Oh, I don't remember what it was called. The like underground city. No, no, no. The not that place, but where she, where she went to, where oh, where her, was. where her mother was. Um, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Oh crap! Uh, it was like something like heaven or haven or I think it's haven, Eden but, or like something like that, yeah, like something yeah. implying like. Afterlife. It was called Afterlife. That was it. Okay. So, but basically what Daisy's thought is, is that, and and I think Coulson kind of feels the same way, is that some, not all, because some of the changes is dramatic, like Raina. But for the most part, if they can help them adapt you know, that's a better use. I don't want to say use, but it's it's a better thought process than simply lock them all away because they're different. Rosalind says that she wants to help them, but her help is, um, um, you know the what was it the the camps that they used for like they put japanese american people in internment internment camps yeah so like that and that's the thing is but that's that's what gets daisy so up in arms is she's immediately freaking out because oh my gosh this is horrible these are again my people because I, I hesitate to say humans, because obviously they're not, they're inhumans. But these are these are my people, and they're like frozen in this, whatever this is. And why, her big question is, why is Coulson not freaking out about it? Right, right. And, and, and Matt, I, I think it's Mac who's like, you know, maybe he has to play it cool in front of her. And, you know, maybe he's getting in, for, he, you know, because I don't think they have sound. Right. I don't think the I don't think the little drone things have have sound. So like he's there and he's obviously trying to not only calm her down, but also offer some potential logical. His thought process is maybe he's trying to get more information about what's happening here because we don't have 
well, we're only seeing what we're seeing, but we don't know what she's saying about what we're seeing. Right. We as the viewers know what she's right, right, saying. Right, 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 right. Like they don't know. So yeah, there's, you know, there's that. And I, I agree. Daisy's going, what are they doing to these people? Because, she, you know, are they taking them somewhere to be experimented on? Well, Which yeah, because well, from her from her point of view, it looks horrendous. From our point of view, it's like 75% horrendous, 25% in my opinion. This is just my opinion. So I don't say for our, from our point of view. From my point of view, it's like 75% horrendous, 25% like I understand Rosalind's point. That's not saying yeah. I agree with it, but yeah. you know what I mean? But from Daisy's point of view, it's 100% horrendous. Well, yeah, because, you know, she's she's looking at it as what are they going to do once they take them down that long hallway? Where are they going with them and what's right. going to happen? Right. You know, and she doesn't know and she's not hearing whatever Rosalind is saying. And like I said, Rosalind talked about the fact that her husband had cancer and there was nothing that could be done. And she's wanting to help these people. And that's her. That's what's that's what she's purporting is that she wants to help these people and there's there's definitely a a logical flaw in that right in my at least in my opinion because like that's what i mean i don't not to get super like i guess the word would be political or whatever but like there's how many like organizations out there who are like we need to cure autism and it's like it's not something that need it needs to be better understood but it's not like we need to support autistic people right. more than your the disease right in in quotations yes yeah that's why like, i said i know you that. said it with an emphasis i understand but i just wanted to say it just to be yeah to be completely clear but like that's i think where where Rosalind is not correct because yeah. I think she looks at it as as a disease and something that can and should be cured. And again, I think that's that right there shows the difference between what Daisy, especially Daisy, but arguably Shields opinion is, which is, you know, let's rehabilitate, let's educate, rehabilitate, by the way, is a much better word than I, either of us came up with before. Um yeah. But let's rehabilitate, educate, in my my using my word, domesticate. Uh, you know what I mean? Like these these yeah. inhumans. Whereas Rosalind is like, let's just get rid of the well, I guess the inhumanity. Um yeah. but speaking and, and, of go ahead. Go ahead. No, you go ahead. I no, go ahead. No, no, go where you were going. I was gonna say, speaking of inhumans, we do find out one of the biggest uh mysteries i guess of the entire season uh towards the end of this right i want to say it's about right roughly at the end of it yeah, pretty close yeah um well first of all they they test banks they take they get the blood sample they send it to um they send it to Gemma. And he is not the father. Thank right? you, Mari. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that we know that it's not him. 
so then it's like and then of course like we said they left him in the car um but uh before we get to before we get to the big spoiler um we we missed the fight scene with um may and bobby and um the uh when they when they go to they, when they go to find uh well they go to find Ward but they find von Strucker's kid being tortured by Kibo yes and so then there's the whole fight scene and my I love Bobby's finale of that do you remember remind what happened remind me what happens so they're fighting and she uh takes the I don't know what they're called the sticks that she has yeah I know what you're talking put, about yeah she puts them in the water and electrocutes Kibo yes now that yes okay because he's like yeah he makes some sort of like smart ass comment and then she's like take this like she makes a comment back to him yep, yep. but uh yeah so you know it's like um they they uh Bobby admits that she, well they have Bobby and and may have a little bit of a thing because she pretty much doesn't want to Bobby doesn't want to use force unless it's the last resort and yeah it's the last resort because you know they need to because they go because they go to the bank is this is this one where they go to the bank yeah they go to the bank to get the oh. information because they go to um they they go to get um oh my gosh what am i talking about they go the safety to safety deposit to get, box that's it yeah that's it but uh what they find out from strucker von strucker that's the last name is Von Strucker. I understand, but every time they talk about him, they just say Strucker. Okay. Just saying. <clears throat> it's sort of it's sort of like a character. Yeah, I'm gonna say it like this. A character we haven't met on Buffy yet. We know that they have a double surname, but later on they just go by a singular surname when referring to themselves. If you okay. know who I'm talking about. Nope. Okay. I'll tell you afterwards. Okay. But anyway, so it uh so one of the last times we see Malik in this, um Ward is asking him why. <clears throat> and he says, uh, pretty much because when I come calling, you know, remember this when I come calling. Because he knows that Ward's gonna try and build Hydra back up again. And so now Ward owes him. Yes. Oh, that's not even what I was talking about. But yes, that I was well, talking about the with with regards to Struck because it's Strucker, Von Strucker, whatever his name is. He's the one who gives the big spoiler in the the big, you know, reveal at, at the, in the episode. Yeah, he's he's been beaten up. He's been tortured. He's been all of these things. And 
he talks about what happened at the blast scene in uh, you know an episode or two ago and he talks about how he didn't uh i can't remember exactly how it is but he he didn't realize that um uh the guy that they were going after, Andrew, May's ex-husband, would like freak out like that. Or one might say, didn't realize he would lash out. Ah, good one. <laughs> He's lash. Yeah. Just throwing it out there on Front Street. Andrew yep. Garner, the the man who has been helping to again rehabilitate and can't seem to pass a single person other than Daisy through the whatever this rigorous whatever that they're trying to do to build up a team of inhumans potentially uh has he has been transforming into the inhuman himself that is going after inhumans which would also indicate similar to season 1 how you know because they were like oh there must be a leak or something just like in season one, there was a leak within Shield. Yep. And same here. How did how does Lash keep finding where these where these inhumans are? Because technically he's on the inside. Yep. Dun, dun, dun. But the only one that hears that is May. Because Bobby's outside fighting Kibo. Yes. At least we don't know whether she hears it or not, because that's pretty much the way that it ends. Yes. Um, it's kind of funny earlier in this episode uh, just popped into my head that um, we in the last episode we talked about the fact that Fitz is a great guy and Gem, he's going to help Gemma find Will and Hunter is like yeah why would you um, help your girl get with somebody else and buy him a car or something like that. He does, he, he references something in his own life that he did for somebody that Bobby was involved with. But it's like, you know, we're not the only ones going, are you kidding? Like, why are you going to help her get the guy that, you know, could potentially be the reason why she's not your girl anymore? Right. You know, but leave it to, leave it to Hunter to be the one that, that throws that out there, you know? So I have more, I have more, um, more trivia. Well, there's, there's one, there's one, uh, there's one final scene. Oh, okay. um, The end, the end, uh, what would be, you know, Marvel's mid or post credits scene. Um, Daisy is on the phone with Lincoln and uh, Andrew basically comes in and, tries to say you know he's like oh you know have lincoln come in have lincoln come in and of course us as the viewer all you know red flags sirens all the stuff is going off because we now know this is lash and lash has kind of been on the hunt for lincoln as is also the atcu has been on the hunt for lincoln and so on but now that Andrew Lash is being like, oh yeah, why don't you have them come on in, you know, whatever. It's like red, like I said, red flags, sirens, all the things are going mayday, mayday, mayday. 
this ain't gonna end good, Will Robinson. Oh, there's another reference, by the way. Will from the planet thing. Yep. Will Robinson yep. from Lost in Space. Boom. Yep. yep. Okay, go ahead with your with your trivia. Okay. All right. So Powers Booth is the, the one who plays Gideon Malik. Um, and we talked about the fact that he was part of the World Security Council. Here we find out what his name is. Um, the title is a reference to Fantastic Four number 45, which is the not first. 47? No, not 47. Uh, the first appearance of, because it, it's um, the title was, quote, among us hide dot 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 the inhumans and it's the first appearance of the inhumans black bolt crystal karnak lockjaw and titan um this is the 50th episode of agents of shield to celebrate the series reaching 50 episodes marvel released a video showing cast and crew members discussing their memories and favorite moments of the series so far we should find that that would be fun. Um, Among Us Hide originally aired on November 3rd. And according to Nielsen, it was watched by 3.84 million viewers. Yep. So. Um, it was written by Drew Z. Greenberg and directed by Dwight Little. Uh, Drew Greenberg has pretty much been a career uh, TV writer. He's worked on a lot of stuff that has the uh, Whedon surname attached to it. Um, and Dwight Little, the director, uh, looks like he's a variety of television series, uh, 24, Prison Break, Bones. Um, looks like he also directed for film Free Willy 2 and Halloween 4, The Return of Michael Myers. Um, amongst other things so you know pretty much career director uh at that point yeah. um so i was looking and there's you know i'm on imdb and so there's goofs right so there's one goof in the scene where they're at Rosalind's apartment and she has two biographies of margaret by margaret thatcher uh the path to power and not for turning which is makes sense because you know strong women and whatever but they're actually on the bookshelves twice well yeah because i think he says something along the lines of i didn't know there was that many biographies about margaret thatcher yep and then there's a plot hole want to hear the plot hole sure okay so hunter is certain that banks is lash right however okay Hunter was with Banks when Lash first encountered Daisy and Mac. So he should know that Banks isn't Lash. Yes, but again, we've already established that he it's it's he's um he's upset because of uh not being included on the Bobby May mission. And he's just really wants to get his anger out on the whole thing. So he's clearly not thinking straight. So I'll I give it a pass. Okay. Um, 
so yeah i mean i don't necessarily have anything else on episodes five and six uh do you have anything else on these particular episodes i feel like we we covered everything pretty in depth i had a quote and i have to find it now that's the wrong way hold on okay so who said hold on gitmo what so in the in episode the, in the episode yes yeah, somebody said it and it made me laugh and i made it i put a note of it but i don't remember who said it i have absolutely no idea why did it because, make you laugh well because hold on there gitmo that's guantanamo bay that's, i know what i know what it is but it just made me chuckle Okay, so let's see. I'm looking at my notes. So, uh, hunt, uh, Hunter is a lost little kid. Um, they figure out that Banks. Oh, maybe. Oh, it had to be Mac that said it, because I I can hear it in his voice. But it was when they were when they wanted to go, um, they wanted to go find Banks, and um. Hunter jumps at the chance to to go um to to drive the the van and then he's like let's just go get him and drag him over here and whatever and Max like hold on there Gitmo you know like yeah how are we going to get the you know whatever we need out of him or whatever but like I said it was just it, something was funny that made me chuckle I think that's it all right. Oh, so, so you preferred the first episode, obviously, than the second one. Yes. Yeah. Um. I I I didn't see as like many. Uh, it was weird because like so you you referenced, um. What was it? You referenced Fringe in this. Because it's always fun to see like what other because sci-fi overlaps and stuff. Yes. So that they appear to be almost in amber. Yes. So you know, that's a a fringe episode or a reference. Were there any other references that you took note of? In this particular episode, not necessarily. I mean, obviously, the the dwarfs references uh, with regards to Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Um, trying to think of anything else in particular. No, not that I could think of offhand. But it was nice to see. It was nice to see Fitz, or not Fitz. It was well, Fitz too. But it was nice to see Simmons. Um back at work you know doing her doing her thing there's a, actually there one of my notes i have here is that um that fitz was uh he's not quite on top of uh things he missed a an alarm apparently there was so when he was talking to um when he was talking to hunter and telling hunter about what was going on with um with Gemma on the screen behind him there's an alarm going off because they found he found something because remember he's looking for the he's trying to find the 
basically the anomaly that opens the portal, there was an alarm going off behind him on one of the screens. Right. So he's obviously not as on top of things as he thinks he is. Or maybe he just doesn't want to see it. Very possible. You know? And I think that's arguably a question that we should be asking ourselves going forward. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know that I would want to. You know? I mean, you want to put all the effort in. It's sort of like, sort of like in the other episode where, you know, Will tries to shoot the thing. But did he try? Right. You know. Because neither one of them really wants to, I would think, neither one of them wants to turn Gemma over to the other at this point. Right. So, all right. So I got all my stuff out. You got all your stuff out. This is a really long episode. Whew. Yep. Uh, so. Next time we will be talking about episodes seven and eight, Chaos Theory and Many Heads, One Table. Um, and then I might have, I'm supposed to have something a little special planned, so I'm interested to see how that unfolds. But uh, I know I said it last time, I'm going to say it again this time. We're going to try not to wait so long in between episodes. Um, but until the next time, where can they find you all over the internet? Ruth? Well, I'm on Facebook with my name and also just plain crazy face art. And I have an Instagram, but I don't really do anything with it. So that. Uh, I am on Twitter and Instagram at JPGRB. Uh, you can find more about us and other past episodes of the various things that we do, including um, past episodes of MCU and me, where we covered the first two seasons, as well as the films uh, leading up to this point uh, and some other uh, television shows and, and serialized things like that um, in the podcast. Uh, we cover all sorts of general talk on Paul and all a show that I do where I, I have folks from any and all walks of life from any and everywhere all around the globe. Uh, we also do MC, I'm sorry, this is MCU and me. We do Buffy verse and converse, which is a podcast where we are going through the entire Buffy franchise, starting from episode one, uh, going episode by episode. Um, and we have uh, viewers of all ages and all levels of fandom, whether it be first time viewers or long-time uh, multiple rewatch viewers. And you can find more about all of that stuff, uh, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, at Clock Shelves, that's C-L-O-C-K-S-H-E-L-V-E-S. -E uh, yeah, I'm I'm excited to get back into the swing of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Season 3. And yeah, she's been Ruth, I've been Paul, and thank you for listening, true believers. Mm -hmm.